This is Paul Nobles from Meet to Perform, and I am here with all of our Lifer uh, customers. We actually had a recent lifetime push, and so many people signed up for Lifetime and also signed up for Eat to Perform Health. So that is a awesome thing. I am also here with the Director of Coaching for Eat to Perform, Becky Vara. Becky is having a few internet issues. I don't know, Becky, can you say something or? I don't know, is it gonna come through? Yes, it's coming through. So so there's Becky, but um, a lot of the times as, uh, so, so this, we do these as live Q and A's, right? So they're live coaching sessions. And uh, Becky, will answer a lot of the questions that really are more personal um, rather than broad uh, behind the scenes. So um, sometimes the questions are a little bit more specific and that's how we kind of address that. But, but, but in general, we kind of want the questions to be broader topics that would help thousands of people rather than specific to you. Sometimes the specific to you questions do end up being questions that uh, end up being, you know, useful to a lot of other people. But um, yeah, so I wanted to start off today talking about a topic that's coming up in sports and, and I think is actually very useful for many of you as well. So what happened is there was a team that was highly favored um, to win a series in basketball and they lost um, in part because their best player was injured and things of this nature. And as the exit interview was happening, um, the, the player was asked if he thought that the season was a failure as a result of that. I think one of the things that's sort of interesting because, you know, uh, I play pickleball downtown. So I play with a lot of Timberwolves employees and um, I'm a Timberwolves season ticket holder. And so I think there's kind of two sets of fans in general. There's like the, the, the casual fans that are on message boards just saying, you know, such and such player sucks or whatever. And then there's like, the fans, like literally one of the best players on the Timberwolves, his dad sits in the seat right in front of me, right? And so so you kind of get to know these people and their families when you interact with them more. And so one of the things that sort of you don't think of when you start to think of, of this relationship, and I understand, you know, they make millions of dollars and stuff like this, but, you know, when these decisions are made or when coaches are changed or players are traded i mean families are affected by this you know and, and fans tend to look at things from from their own perspective and not necessarily from the perspective of um of you know how people's lives are, are affected here and so what what the question was asked from a reporter was is your season a failure and the response was 
you know, you're, you're, you were kind of asking this person in the moment, something that is very um, touchy, right? Because, you know, they've invested a lot more than the reporter has into the success of this team. And uh, he took issue with the fact that, that, that failure, you know, this is a, is a success and failure thing. And there's been a lot of discussion. Some of the best discussion I thought was had by, by Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. Charles Barkley was on the side of, no, you know, this can't be just about wins and losses. And Shaquille O'Neal was like, no, you know, this is just about wins and losses. But his differentiator was, you know, you can have goals as being wins and losses and it can be a failure. That doesn't make you a failure. So they, they all stood on the side of sometimes when you fall short of a goal, it doesn't make you a failure. All it does is it gives you information, right? And so because of that information that you have, you now have the ability to proceed. And what I think happens in a lot of your cases is you view, you know, success and failure, especially as it relates to a weight goal. We've been talking about weight goals for 11 years now, right? That weight goals are really bad determinants for success or failure, right? Because basically if you, if you're going to, do fat loss one for six to eight weeks or do fat loss two and that ends up being 12 to, to 16 weeks that doesn't necessarily mean that you know you're going to lose the 20 pounds that you want to but if you give the most effort you can with some you know devi deviation from the plan once or twice maybe even two times or five times you know, did you fail if you lost 15 pounds versus 20, right? And I think a lot of people do feel like they failed. And I think the reason why they feel like they failed is because there's this rigid mindset related to success. Because for the most part, when someone signs up to a program like this, they're not like you guys, right? So if, if, if you didn't hear the intro, Everyone here is a lifetime client. So, so until they die, they haven't failed, right? And, and I think it's important for us to kind of make that differentiation, right? Is that you can have a goal and miss that goal. You know, the one thing that I think we do as human beings is, is we, we emphasize the negative way more than the positive. There's so many goals that we hit on a daily basis. You know, if you wake up at eight o'clock, every morning and you're supposed to wake up at eight o'clock in the, in the morning guess what you're not going to do is give yourself a bunch of kudos for that but you know it's those small routines that do allow for more success long term right and i think that if we start giving ourselves more credit for those types of things those can build towards bigger goals long term but if you just view everything as success and failure, which is what a lot of people do with weight loss and weight loss goals, that's the biggest reason why people fail, right? Because what happens is, is they go, well, I needed to lose 20 pounds, but I only lost 18. And they might think to themselves, well, okay, 
18 is good. But if I go back to 15, well, all the wheels are coming on. And that's how most dieting works, right? And that's how most programs work. You know, I, I said this in the podcast on Thursday. I believe this to be true. We get held to a standard that no other diet company is held to. Because for the most part, if you sign up for Weight Watchers, you kind of know you're going to be doing Weight Watchers again. They don't really give you a path out, right? And so, so most people, when they do something like Weight Watchers or a Noom or something of this nature, they kind of view it like a tune-up, right? But they know they're going to need another tune-up eventually. What we're trying to show people is that the biggest piece of success that you can have or not have, you know, is to view this as a much bigger thing. And, and that um, weight regain is actually a part of it as long as you can keep that in check. The reason why people don't keep that in check is because they want to lose 20 pounds, they lose 18, and then they see some weight fluctuation over a weekend and then what ends up happening is they 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 lose it right and it's kind of like you get a flat tire and then you decide well let me just let me just slash all the other three tires right just just for for you know shits and giggles or something right um but but what i think we're not all honest about is how uncomfortable it is to undereat. Then you have the other side, right? Imagine a scenario. This is this is interesting when we think of it from this perspective. And my biggest concern, you know, I talk a lot about weight loss medications. I mean, we can talk a little bit about it if somebody has a question, but at the end of the day, you know, um, we're we're covering it a lot. There's really no reason to. Um, cover it unless somebody has a specific question. But my biggest concern related to weight loss medications, IF, keto, and even need to perform, right? Even, even you know, other diet programs where, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't know that I can lump us into that because truthfully, if you don't teach people a way out, then you potentially are giving them an eating disorder. If you teach them a way out, you're at least showing them the path of what a healthy life would look like. So, so think about it like this. Imagine a scenario where you never won, right? So you, you played the game for 50 years and you literally never won. You know, I think there's many people out there, many of you maybe even still on this call that don't think that you've ever had a win in 50 years because the the win is to lose 50 pounds, right? And you haven't lost the 50 pounds, so therefore you've lost. It's like that is that is an unhealthy mindset, right? And that's the kind of thing that leads to eating disorders because, you know, in my mind, you know, and, and I believe this to be true. Um, and I think that this, you know, I think most of you would agree that this is true. But but many people out there, even some of you on this call have struggled with this. If you lost it all and gained it back plus interest, that's a pretty bad outcome, right? But 
if you lost it and because you wanted to stay at a certain weight or you still had 20 more to lose or something of that nature, you start to eat 800 calories for the rest of your life and end up with the eating disorder as a result. That's a pretty bad outcome, right? And I think that what's happening, you know, is in our quest for success, we often are allowing our non-logical mind to take over when our logical mind needs to take over. No one should be hungry their whole life. No one should be depressed because they haven't met a goal or, or something of this nature. And I, I think it, it, it's really important that not only do we give ourselves credit for what we're doing all along the way, but we also have to give ourselves understanding that just because you're early in the process doesn't mean you're a failure, right? You're just early in the process, you know? And what do I mean by early in the process? Well, being 15 years into doing this, I think anything less than 15 years because I still learn things on a daily basis, you know? But but there's many people that come in to eat to perform and within six weeks, they feel like a failure. And it's just like, come on, you know, like we're letting diet culture dictate the process, right? And we're letting, you know, Instagram get in, like, like I, I can digest David Goggins content and take from it what I want. But David Goggins is, would tell you there is very success and failure because that's the way that he lives his life, right? Many of you can't live your life that way. You're not going to make your income from being a social media influencer or selling books or things of this nature. So you have to be easier on yourself. You have to understand that there's a process. And I will tell you 100%. I know many of you, when you signed up for Eat and Form, you thought, this sounds like a better formula for success. They're going to show me 18 steps. And when those 18 steps are done, I'm going to be fixed. I'm going to be normal. There is no normal. There is no fixed. There is only working towards better long term. And I think if we can move people to that mindset, we can we can get to a better place. Okay, so I know we have a lot of questions. It does look like Becky. Um, Becky, what I would like to do is the Q&A from people that are in here. We'll do those first, and then we'll get to the list of questions after that. Yes. Okay, so the first question is, do you have any experience with the calories that Garmin Watch says is burned as compared to what is actual? Should calories burned be over intake? I know it is not exact. Just wondering if it is a good estimate. So it's not a, it's not a good estimate. It's not exact. And, you know, in a lot of ways. So, so let me back up for just a second. So I think Fitbit, as an example, should get the Nobel Peace Prize for what they've done for activity. I think people are more conscious of steps than they've ever been before. Okay. The calories burned. There, there is a missing part of the equation that if you don't have, um, it makes that number irrelevant. So it's not useful at all. Right. 
Um, it's not close. It's not an estimate. It's very specific to every single person. And here is what it's based on. What are you eating now? Right? So when you think of what we did with Eat Perform, we created what is ultimately called calculated daily energy expenditure, right? Previous to calculated daily energy expenditure, there was total daily energy expenditure. And it's a series of formulas and it was based on how much you did. And many women would look at those numbers and go, there's no way I could eat that much, right? Because they would look at the amount of muscle that they have, then use a calculator, and it would say that if you're non-sedentary or very active, you should be eating 2,600, 2,700 calories. And it would freak people out because they were eating 1,200 calories. Well, 10 years later, many of you are eating over 2,000 calories or up to 2,500. Some of you even much more than that. Um, actually, higher than, than the Garmin number in a lot of cases, right? Um, so those numbers don't matter. And I think that at some point, maybe it's possible that we can do a version of this. Um, at some point, you have to, it, the cal it's missing a calculation and that calculation is intake, right? And so, so it can't be correct if it doesn't factor in your intake, right? And your intake matters a lot because it's going to tell you, you know, um, the, the ability for your body to get to a deficit, the ability for your body to, to actually see success. But without your Garmin knowing your intake, it's like, it's like um, A plus B equals C, right? And A is, is one, and C is 3,000, right? But but if you don't have B, the input could be wrong. And that's, that's what's happening in the case of a garment. Now, is it helpful for you as a guide? I think it is helpful. I, I use one, but mine does not track steps, right? The WHOOP does not track steps. It tracks exer exertion. And the reason why the WHOOP doesn't track steps is because they they don't have that other calculation. And so Garmin, like if you think about it, right, calories burned in general is a very frustrating statistic for everyone, right? Because we all know what our calories burned are now, right? But what we don't know and what Garmin doesn't know and what Fitbit doesn't know is the amount of food that we're intaking and the effect that that has on metabolism. So it's basically bullshit. Is it good? Is it good to know? Yeah, I think it is good to know, um, but without intake. And, and, and as we know through calculated daily energy expenditure, the intake goes up and down, right? And so like one of the things that's sort of interesting is that um, you would think, okay, if I can eat more, and and my calorie burn goes higher as a result, I can lose weight, right? So I'm gonna try and come up with some kind of formula. The reality is, is that, you know, if you're trying to use activity to lose weight, 
you're kind of spinning your wheels, right? If it, it just, it, it, it kind of has to suck. You kind of have to eat less. And that's the only way that you're going to make appreciable change. Now, does that mean that activity doesn't matter? You know, or should you? No, activity matters a lot, especially as it relates to keeping weight off, right? We talk about this all the time and people hate it when I bring it up. But at the end of the day, people say, well, you know, I've lost a lot of weight. Can I keep it off? It's like, well, that depends a lot on you and your effort. Right. But if you don't have the effort, getting back to what we talked about previously, it doesn't mean that you failed. Right. It just meant that that, you know, you got information and the next time you're going to have to deal with it differently. Or hopefully this time we can kind of get things back to normal or things come back normal once you you were able to follow the plan. One of the worst things that can happen in the scenario that kind of you're talking about. Um, is someone someone is burning calories? They they um, they lose a lot of weight. They're eating at a deficit, and now all of a sudden they 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 do the you know the minute the diet ends, they eat cheesecake and have a, a bottle of wine, right? And and weight goes up, and they freak out. But then they're like, no, I'm gonna jump on the treadmill and I'm gonna burn all these calories off. It really, the body's just so much better than you in, in that thought process, right? And it's going to take a while for your body to process that. But this this idea, you know, when I say effort, you know, what I don't mean is that you should try to run yourself in the ground. And this is the argument that we've been making for a little bit of weight regain as calories normalized. Because if you're trying to run yourself into the ground, all you're really going to do is pull on your 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 muscle, and that's not going to be fat. And um, but that's the other thing. Um, there is nothing more effective, you know, as it relates to fat loss than resistance training long term, right? Because you know when we look at you know the fittest people on earth, the 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 people that that actually can you know, use calories as a way to burn fat, they often have a lot of muscle, right? And that is one of the big determinants in the calculation of which the question that you're asking, right? But the 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 whoop, the Garmin, the Fitbit, they don't do a good job with those types of things because they can't measure exertion, right? And so so the answer is it's kind of bullshit, but I can tell you I have done it where I've taken multiple devices. I have used the estimation for calories and I have eaten those calories and stayed weight stable, right? So it does show you that if you're trying to keep weight off, exertion matters quite a bit. And on the note of the whoop, um, do you have any thoughts on the resistance training new feature? I don't because I haven't I I haven't really used it at all. Um, my guess is it's also going to be kind of bullshit, right? Um, for a bit, you know. I think the thing is is 
and this is we we experience this with our app development where people get frustrated because you know when something's first version you know isn't exactly what they envisioned it to be um that that people get frustrated with that that's the only way anything real happens in life right you have to start with something and it has to evolve into something else we can try to estimate what it would look like we can try to estimate what it would look like but at the end of the day they won't know and so while i haven't seen it while i haven't used it um it's going to inherently have issues Okay. Gary says, many times I hear about pounds loss. I'm at a point where maybe that matters, but it matters far less than achieving a body fat percentage of say 10 to 12% and then maintaining that. It seems like every fat loss cycle I go through, I never get to the level of lean I want to see in the mirror or the body fat of 10 to 12. Now, to be fair, I've had some debilitating injuries after my initial fat loss where I did get down to 13 to 14%. Then surgery combined with inactivity, further injury over the next two cycles, I could not achieve the same results. I'm, week, I'm in week seven to eight of fat loss now and I have the health to be successful. I just feel like pulling into AP now uh, or soon seems counterproductive. I would like to stay in fat loss one longer and coach says I can if I'm losing pounds. I think the tough part here is I am adding back muscle from lower body inactivity over the last year due to herniated disc and quad tendinopathy. And it seems the weight is not shedding like it typically would as size is coming on. Thoughts on this? So I will say, I remember your images um, from a few years ago and they like wowed everyone, you know? Um, and this is what I found when I was body fat testing CrossFit Games athletes. Uh, people with lots of muscle um, actually look very lean, even at 13 to 15%. So that's a factor. I'll, I'll speak to what you're saying related to 10 to 12%. Um, but, you know, the reality of the situation, and I'm going to speak to you because I know you're a man, and and men are different than women psychologically in this one aspect, right, where um, a lot of bodybuilders, as an example, are more inclined to, I mean, I am actually shocked, you know, um, and it always surprises me at how many men are using steroid cycles, right? Um, because, you know, normally, you know, right now I'm playing a lot of pickleball, but even, even as I'm moving to pickleball, there, you know, I'm playing it now in gyms where, I mean, there's just like open discussion related to steroids. And I'm not talking about testosterone replacement i'm talking about somebody cooking something something up in their bathtub and someone injecting it into their body and it's just crazy to me that that we as men are so susceptible to to this message um and often do not consult our doctors with it do not talk to our doctors about it um, and ultimately, it ends up being a premature type death situation. 
So that's the background of the discussion that we're having. Um, so one, fat loss one, we do have a hard and fast date. And the reason why is because um, there really is no, you know, there is a high correlation. Okay, I just want to be clear about this. There's a very high correlation between um, weight loss and fat loss. Okay, um, and and now some of what you're experiencing. So let's say that I actually talked about this yesterday um, as it relates to muscle loss for weight loss medications, and this is a little bit of your situation probably right now. So let's say that that you got to 13%, right? And you're like, ah, oh, I just want to lose weight until, until I get to 10. Well, let's say that you're 200 pounds and the difference between 13 and 10 is six pounds, right? So one pound equals two pounds of, of, of mass, right? And so you're six pounds away. What a lot of people aren't factoring in is that as you're losing weight, as you're getting to these calorie deficits, you're actually dehydrating yourself, either consciously or unconsciously, even if you're drinking water, even if you're using electrolytes. Just you're, you're not eating enough for your body to hold on to that hydration. So whether it's six pounds or three pounds, right, even if it's three pounds and, and you're 13%, you can get to it 11 and a half, which would be your goal, right? So a lot of the times, and this happens a lot in bodybuilding competitions. If you've ever been to a bodybuilding competition, what happens is, is that people come in at some really super low weight. Um, they're veined out of their minds and, and things of this nature, and they get judged based on that look, right? And 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 their weight and, and the body composition at that point. Then what happens the next day is they do the the posing, right? Well, that next day they rehydrate for the posing, right? And they look vastly different. In fact, many of them will come back rehydrated, ten to fifteen pounds. I mean, literally the day before. They would struggle walking up steps because they dieted so hard. And then, you know, they rehydrate IV-wise, um, come back 10 to 15 pounds, and literally all 15 pounds is viewed as um, uh, lean mass because it's 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 rehydrating your 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 um, glycogen stores which in a huge person is is a lot um, but it's also rehydrating your muscle right so so you know i'm just going to stick with my state Let, let's go 250 right so in the case of 250 you know and and let's say that you know someone gain regained um right through rehydration 12 and a half pounds that would be five percent body fat right and so when people test their body fat they often tested at their lowest weights when they would be much better off having pancakes for dinner the day before and doing it you know around you know 
seven, eight o'clock in the morning where their bodies had a had an ability to process. And actually, you could make the argument that they could have carbohydrates throughout that day. So you have Chipotle for lunch, pancakes for dessert. You go in and and you know get your body fat tested at nine, ten o'clock. Um nutrients take up to 24 hours to load, especially carbohydrates, right? So, so you might actually be a lot leaner than you think, but um, rehydration plays a big part of that. But we do, we will allow you, you know, in fat loss too, to kind of do what you're saying, right? Like your coach will allow you to kind of make what might be a bad decision, right? Um, but that bad decision often comes down to, you know, um, trying to eke out a week or two more to see if we can get the needle moving. But in fat loss one, it's sort of unnecessary, right? Because because we know that if we can set things up through AP, that we can get a much better. So so what I would suggest to you is to use, you know, a two to three month AP cycle, maybe throughout the whole summer, come back in the fall, and then what you want to do, we'll do. Right. But it also allow you to heal a little bit better. It will allow you to put in a little bit more volume and things of that nature, get some of that hydration back. Those muscles will look full and things of that nature. But I mean, you know, if you really want to twist our arm, we'd probably do it. But but I just don't see any value in that. Right. Um, We just we've just seen enough, you know, throughout the years that you know, there's just no point in pushing fat loss one that aggressively when we have fat loss two. And if we push fat loss one aggressively, you're just going to regain weight more aggressively, right? And there's just no, no, you know, I think that gets really frustrating. And that's once again, a little bit of what I was talking about in the beginning. Okay, the next question is, what's the difference between a mini cut and a full fat loss cycle? Um, a mini cut is a half of a fat loss cycle that can be adjusted down. So if uh, fat loss one is six weeks and uh, fat loss two is another six to eight weeks, um, then uh, you know basically you have the choice between either four weeks or six weeks, that's it. And you, you see, uh, Sarah Hoffman doing this. Um, she's actually Sarah Krebs, but um, you see uh, Lucinda Marinas do this. They do like short little cleanups for like four weeks going into the summer. I think Lucinda might have actually done a full fat loss cycle this time, but 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 often they'll do like short little cleanups. But that's the answer. It's basically just just half of the fat loss cycle. I'd mini, like for you mini. to talk just a little bit about what we're trying to accomplish in a mini cut versus a, a full fat loss cycle or what might happen. Yeah. So like in a mini cut, you're basically just addressing. So, so if we're all being honest with ourselves, right. And there needs to be a certain amount of honesty with this is that the trip to the Vegas, the weekend at Mimas the the girls trip you know to new orleans all added up a little bit right and that addition 
land you at roughly eight pounds up. And you know that if you could be a little bit strict for a little while, you could get rid of that eight pounds. That's what a mini cut does. But is a mini cut, should you have this expectation of a mini cut? I mean, one thing that you have to remember about a mini cut is that you kind of go, go all the way down relatively quickly, right? Well, guess what? We have to come back up relatively slowly. So if you're used to eating 2,500 calories, now we're resetting essentially to just clean up maybe some, some things. I wouldn't even say it was bad behavior. I mean, it's just, just normal. Right. I mean, like, like, you know, I, I think the difference between what we do at Eat to Perform and what other people do is that they allow you to slide into bad behavior a lot, right? And so, so they'll tell you, oh, just run a two-week mini-cut. And then the, the net result of constantly being on that reductionist mindset, you know, is, is harm to your, to your metabolism, uh, difficult time to 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 build muscle and things of this nature. Once again, that's a little bit of what I was talking about with Gary. Even in even for women, you know, there's a lot of push towards you know. And once again, this is not hormone replacement. This is illegal drugs, right? Where you know people are basically living with an eating disorder. And and they're constantly dieting and they're constantly mini cutting and they're constantly resetting down to zero and you know all these things that ultimately end up being a negative. The way that we teach it is that look, just go back to your plan. Once we go back to your plan, now we have a baseline and we can decide. Okay, is this eight pounds for real, or is this eight pounds just something that we're going to be able to address? And maybe it's just four pounds. And if it's four pounds. That's fluctuation. Maybe you can deal with that mentally, right? But if it does end up being eight pounds over the course of six to nine months, that's what you use a mini mini cut for. But mini cuts are not for fat loss per se, right? Um, it's not a fat loss strategy. It's just kind of like regaining some of the progress that you may have made like six to nine months ago. So when you fundalize, Two months after you're at 1800 calories, right? We still haven't worked your calories up because, you know, you're a little scared and we understand you're a little scared. So we're moving things a little bit slow for you compared to the way that we would move things normally. And now you want to do a mini cut. I mean, well, you're just dieting all the time, right? And so you're, you're not going to ultimately see the real benefit of what eating form is. I mean, you know, this comes up a lot, right? Where... People are like, you know, I've been doing this for six weeks and, and while I'm down five to six pounds, you know, it's a little frustrating. I thought I'd see more success based on what, right? Like you signed up for Eat to Reform, right? This, this is for new people, but but you signed up for Eat to Reform. You knew you were under eating. You thought to yourself, the fact that you've lost six pounds is a miracle, right? Because we're starting people high and moving them to lower. Right. And yeah, now you have a better approach, but you haven't done eat to perform. You just did another version of a diet. Right. Eat to perform doesn't come happen. The eat to perform doesn't happen until you eat and perform. Right. And that happens in AP and that happens in performance. And so, what I, once again, 
We're, we're, we're imprisoned by this, this tune-up mindset or this car wash mindset, right? And so we have to understand what these things are doing. And all a mini cut is, is a car wash, right? It's not really addressing fat loss over time. It's not doing what Gary was talking about earlier. Because I think that what happens is, is that people hear, oh, well, that was a man asking a question. So the rules are different somehow for men. And they are a little bit, right? Um, but in this instance, not really. You know, I talked about this on Thursday because it comes up a lot. It's like, we're all individuals. Yeah, we are all individuals. And that's true. And that's the reason for a customized plan. But, you know, there has to be some, some constants that we're using as we're understanding this process, right? So what happens a lot, especially, you know, what we were talking about the other day was, was weight loss medication. And the weight loss medication community wants to sit off in the corner, right? And then just believe that they could just eat less and less and less and less because it's working right now. What doesn't, what isn't happening for them, what has happened for many of you is you've tried every diet under the sun, right? And so you 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 know everybody's cavalier until they hit a plateau, and then they want to well, what's this eat conform guy talking about, right? And that's how we end up getting customers. We we don't no, we're nobody's first diet, right? Um, and so so you know I think that uh, you know my my biggest fear with a lot of this stuff, you know, is that um, it, it, it's not that it doesn't sound logical. It's not that it doesn't work. It's that people aren't going to give it the timeline that it needs. And most of you, because your lifetime, you have that ability in a way that a lot of other people don't because they're still kind of viewing it as a car wash. Okay, the next question is, the transition from fat loss into PR and how to best maintain weight, understanding that some weight is going to come back, but how to best manage that time in between cycles so it doesn't feel like I'm starting over. Effort. Next question. Right. I mean, like, 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 I can talk to you about fluctuation. I can talk to you about a lot of things, but, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say effort, and that is the answer to the question, right? If you want to put in a lot of effort, you can keep the weight off. The more effort you put in, the more weight you'll be able to keep off. But what's, what happens for a lot of people, I can tell you right now, when I have a three to four hour pickleball session, not only am I dehydrated, but my body, the pull on my body, the healing aspect, I will lose sometimes up to four to five pounds in one session, right? That's not all hydration. And that healing process for the next two to three days will keep my body down. Look, let's be real here. A lot of people that want to keep their weight, they aren't really putting in the effort. And that's okay, right? Because Look, you might be a mom, you might be a teacher, you might be a lawyer. You know what you might not be? An Instagram influencer. You might not be a professional athlete. You might not get paid to put in great effort, right? 
And this is the argument for allowing some weight regain. The problem is, is that many of you have a 10 pound problem and no one has a 10 pound problem, right? If you lose 30 pounds and you regain five, even 10 pounds in that process, shouldn't you? I mean, like realistically, why wouldn't that be okay? I mean, as long as we're going to somehow address this over time, and if we want to address that 10, but, but nobody has a 10 pound problem, right? Um, I understand that you want to keep it off. And if you want to keep it off, the answer is, is effort, right? Put in more effort, you know, do more steps, do more cardio, do less resistance training, things of that nature, right? That will address weight. It won't necessarily address fat. If you want to address fat, you're probably going to have to gain weight. You're probably going to have to do more resistance training. You have to do less cardio, right? But you're going to have to deal with the mental side of uh, gaining a little weight in that process, right? But if if the goal is always staying at the same weight, I think you're doing yourself a disservice, right? And so so that but the answer, very very simply is effort. Now, I just want to say that, you know, as someone that was a high effort person, um, eating 5,000 calories a day, that was the, that was the basis for eating form, right? Was that I would eat 5,000 calories a day and I could show the world that I could still lose weight and I could still reach my body composition goals. And it, it, to say that Ethan Form has changed the world is no is is not a lot, right? People come to me all the time and say, "Oh my goodness, you're the Ethan Form guy." I, I can't believe, you know. I mean, I literally was talking to the head of another company, and he was explaining to me that my original calculator that did not allow people to get deficit numbers was a game changer for him mentally, right? And this is just like a random person, wasn't a member of Eat to Perform. You know, I've been to gyms in, in um, Bruges, Belgium, where, you know, their members come and meet me because they know who I am and they want to hear and they have questions and things of this nature because it's so fundamentally different. You know, but in that process, I now eat 3,000 calories. I'm also, you know, I'm not 150. I'm 180, right? 185 at times, right? Um, 190 at times, you know, because I understand the value of waking as it relates to building muscle. When I, when I was 32% body fat, I had 127 pounds of muscle right now depending on the day i flirt with about 170 right that's 43 pounds of muscle you don't get 43 pounds of muscle just efforting it all the time if you've ever seen that three pick right where you know i'm i'm over 250 you know i'm 162 and then i'm 162 the middle pick and the right pick you know I'm 162 in both those pictures but one 
It was too much effort. And the other was taking a smarter approach to resistance training, weight gain, and things of that nature, right? Um, and I had to even get smarter than that. My, my, my approach to that to this day still continues to evolve, right? So the answer is effort, but you have to, you have to, before you just decide to go out there and, and, and do ultra marathons, let's just ask yourself, when I'm 85, is this what I want to be doing? You know what I mean? And, and, and so, so let's just have these rational discussions and let's not always be about maintaining weight, right? Because maintenance is such a reductionist idea that it frustrates me that it's such a big thing in the influencer community, right? And the influencer community, it's so important to them because, you know, the more followers they get, the more income that they get, you know? The reality is for you, five to 10 pounds, if you've already lost a bunch of weight or you're at a healthy weight, it's fine. We can address that over time. But, but you know, just constantly upping the effort What's it for? What's the end game, right? Now, let me make the case for the end game. The end game might be, you know, you're going to be in a two-piece soon, you know? Um, for some people, that's a motivator, and it should be. But you could probably be in a two-piece with those five to 10 pounds and be just fine too, right? So, I, I think it really comes down to to some of the mental stuff for this. Okay, and our last question is about fasted workouts. I typically eat dinner at 5 p.m. and nothing afterwards. I wake up and work out at 6 a.m. As I am just starting AP and getting to eat a bit more and figuring out this entire process, do I need to retool anything to have better performance for workouts? Well, all you're doing is compromising the muscle. So if the goal is fat loss, you're you're hurting your ability to to um, the, the the so that it's interesting, right? So there was this 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 thought process for a very long time, um, and it was related to Oprah and Bob Green, right? And what Oprah and Bob Green said was, and and this is so interesting, right? Was that don't eat after 5 a.m., right? Or uh, 5 p.m., I'm sorry. Not even a great, Oprah said, right? Um, and yes, it was favorable in the study for weight loss. But what it wasn't favorable for was fat loss. In the same study, right? So the people that ate after 5 p.m., those people um, actually maintained their their fat percentages and actually had favorable results to their fat percentage. But the people that didn't eat after five, they lost more weight. So which group do you want to be in, right? So my argument to you is if you're going to have faster workouts, and once again, I mean, it's 6 a.m., but man, you're not, you're now, you're now, that's that's using intermittent fasting in my mind um not trying to i'm just it's just not it's just not informed right um you're you're going to want to make sure that you're you're 
Like, why would you want to work out at 60%, right? So if you have carbs at eight, right? I used to actually, so I used to work out at 6 a.m. I used to work out at 5 a.m. And I would literally wake up at four um, just to have a small meal, right? Um, not because of what I'm saying, but because I would just get a bad blood sugar response. But no question in my mind, if I had not eaten since 5 p.m. the day before, you know, it would have compromised my effort, right? And the goal is to be able to give as close to 100% effort as possible, right? So what I think is going to happen, will you feel comfortable? Sure. Is it going to be doable? Yes. Can you add some pre-workout and and be all amped up and, and think you're doing fine? Sure, right? But is it going to compromise your muscle? Likely. Are you going to realistically be working out at 60%? Yes. Right. So so having food later is is going to be better or having a meal before. But once again, 6 a.m. I mean, the one caveat I would say the the you you actually framed it perfectly because 5 p.m. 100 percent, you know, you're you're essentially having your body draw all of its reserves right through through you know, let's say you go to bed at 11. So that's six hours. And then now your body is, is, is repurposing a lot of this stuff so that, you know, the muscle that you're tearing down throughout a day gets rebuilt and things of this nature. And now you're saying, but I'm going to go into a workout, you know, depleted. Right. And there's just no reason to do it at, at all. You know, the only reason to do it would be is that somehow you're more comfortable doing it, it that way. And I, I think that that's where our brains play games on us, you know, um, or play games with us that actually, you know, is, is bullshit. You know, I, I think once again, we're kind of cuddling up to the reductionist idea, right? That the more we do, you know, if I can just, you know, um, you know, burn it, you know, on both sides, you know, then I'd be better off. And it's like, no, let's, let's, let's get away from that mindset and let's start doing what's going to allow us to keep the most muscle possible. Because at the end of the day, even form is about aging, right? And we want to be able to get to 80, 90, 100, where we're still active and where you're still doing the things that will allow us to age gracefully. And I just think if you get into that habit of 5 p.m. or faster workouts, that's just going to ultimately pull on your muscle over time and won't allow you to age the way you want to. We could probably that was all that we had. Okay. So Becky's a little pixelated. I uh, appreciate everybody being here. Um, I am headed to what is probably like a 30th annual family cribbage tournament. Um, and I mean, we literally have family that flies in, friends that fly in for this cribbage tournament. Um, it is a sight to see. And we'll have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 50 people doing this thing. So I'm really excited about it. It's a fun thing for our family each year. It's bigger than Christmas. It's bigger than Thanksgiving. 
and it's a lot of fun. So um, I'm looking forward to it and I appreciate everybody being here. And I hope everyone enjoyed all the answers to all the questions. Talk to you later. Bye now.